Good to see you all. I'm, I'm Johnny Levy. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this up in prayer, but uh, here's a little freebie for you. I want you to look, uh, look at the people next to you, to your left and your right. And I just want you to remember something. Um, as I go into speaking about the resurrection and all that the Lord has done for us, one of the things he purchased for us was this right here, right? Like the family of Christ. You know, I look around this room and I see people who have sacrificed for me, um, who've been there for me, who have counseled me, who've encouraged me when I've been broken. And I just want you to know, like, that's what's here for us. You know, uh, we, we don't always take advantage of it, do we? We, uh, we live in a culture where we're supposed to be able to stand on our own two feet. And we're supposed to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. And we're supposed to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, but that's a slap in the face of what the Lord purchased for us. So just consider that, you know, as we um, come together and, and experience. Oh, let me. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you, sir. See? See? Always looking out. The family, always looking out. Um, so I just want you to, re to remember that, and then let's, let's enjoy that, right? It's, it's something the Lord has also given us to enjoy, like people to love and people who love us. So praise his name for that. Um, so let me pray for the time. Uh, Lord God, I thank you for everybody that's here. Uh, I thank you, Lord God, that there's, there are no accidents, and, and there's, there's no one that's here by accident. And I believe that the word of God is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I believe, Lord, that the word of God will not return to you empty, but will accomplish that which you purpose and will succeed in the thing for which you sent it. Which means it's not me, it's the word that does the work. And so I pray, let your word do work today in the hearts of the people. I pray that each would hear what they need to hear for their growth and for their edification and to bring you glory. Because at the end of the day, that's why we live and breathe. We live and breathe to bring glory to the risen king who gave it all, who, who gave his life, who bled out on that cross for us to purchase us for himself so that we might go out and be a new kind of people. So let that be, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a quick review of uh, Joel's sermon last week. Uh, well, uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know, that, that one made some waves. Um, but in that Genesis 1 through 11 overview, there is a bit of that theme. So we're taking a break from the Genesis narrative, right? So, um, you know, uh, we had Genesis last week. This week, we're going to go into 1 Corinthians 15. But there are certainly things that Joel set up that are uh, reflected in, this, in the discussion of the resurrection. It's very relevant. And so one of the things that he outlined for us was this cosmic rebellion, right? There, was a, there, was, there, there were things happening. You know, we got to go into the fall and see what happened with Adam and Eve. But there were preconditions already in place for that to happen, amen? There was something spiritual going on. There was a rebellion going on prior, and we get to see that in the form of Satan coming and saying, I want to ruin that creation. And, and then we know Satan was one of those um, heavenly beings that was, uh, uh, was there prior, that God had created prior to the creation of, of the earth, um, or, or at least the forming of the earth. And so, uh, so, so we're going to continue on that narrative. And, and, and just to understand, you know, 
that sin or that moment in history created a rift, right? There was something that was lost during the fall. Something was broken. And so now you have this, uh, you know, you, you remember when Jesus prayed, you know, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Doesn't that imply that it's not being done on earth? Doesn't that imply that earth is not heaven, right? It was originally created good and then something happened and it fell and now there's a separation. And that's the narrative, right? Like that's, that's this cosmic battle that we're involved in, which involves creation and humanity and spiritual principalities and powers and God himself and then the whole redemption plan to bring it back together. Um, and so a couple things as we go into uh, today's session, a couple, these are, I, I like to formulate my thinking through questions. I like to ask myself questions um, and then spend, uh, spend that, that helps me kind of clarify my course of study as I prepare for a sermon. So one of the questions is, what is the gospel at its core, right? What is the gospel? We say that word all the time, but do we really ever think about what that means? And uh, um, the second is, what does the resurrection mean to the Christian, right? How important is the actual, historical, factual um, occurrence of the resurrection in human history to the Christian? And then what is the role of the resurrection in the cosmic plan? So those are three, uh, three questions that we're going to try to answer. Now, as we open... Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Um, so New Testament, what is that, five books in? I don't know, somebody count it out for me. I don't have time. <laughs> um, so Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Starting at 15, we're talking about Jesus and uh, let's remember, this is who we're talking about today, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Think about that for a second. By Jesus, all things were created. Every molecule was created by Jesus, through Jesus. And then everything invisible, spiritual principalities, all spiritual principalities and powers were created by Jesus. So they were all created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and, what does it say? For him, right? Does creation have a point? Why did God do all this, <laughs> right? It's for the glory of Christ, for him. Why do you live and breathe? For him. Now, it talks about here, which is interesting. It's a great tie back to, to, the, to the Genesis study from last week. It says, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Like, you see that in Scripture a lot. It, talks, it, it uses that kind of series of, of words. Rulers, authorities, principalities, powers. We see it all the time. And it certainly has double meaning, right? There, 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 God is talking so often about spiritual forces, spiritual beings, right? Powerful spiritual authorities that exist. We can't read our, we, we don't like to talk about it, but we can't read our Bibles and not acknowledge the fact that those exist, right? Like Satan exists, fallen angels exist, you know, principalities and powers exist, um, but then we get into, rule, uh, into Ephesians 
We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that's just to set us up to understand, like, there's a spiritual battle going on every single day. It's been going on since the beginning, and, and that's what we find ourselves in the middle of. And that's a big part of what we see being resolved through God's plan of salvation. And then uh, going on, um, going on into, uh, into 17, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and, and still talking about Jesus. And he is before all things, and in, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, whether in, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that talks a little bit more about the destination, right? Like we're in this spiritual, this spiritual battle. That's also an earthly battle often, but we're in this, this epic conflict. Um, but where is it heading? Where is it pointing to? The day that Christ will be all in all, right? The day that Christ is on the throne and everything is made right. So, uh, so getting into the actual passage for today, let's head over to 1 first, uh, first Corinthians 15. We're going to do 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 23. Um, and this is just an amazing passage of Scripture. Um, and I'll, it, there, there are several reasons for that, which I'll get into. But I'm going to let you go ahead and get on to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, let's see. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Right. See, I got that. All right. All right. So 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. All right. So this gospel this gospel that Paul preached is what we're about to get into. Um, and uh, what does gospel mean? Um, gospel is a beautiful word. It has to do with um, the proclamation of news, right? Good, good, the proclamation of good news, good tidings, right? Something that actually happened. And so um, I think we can get it in our heads that, that it's kind of this abstract thing or that Christianity is kind of this abstract thing like other world religions. Christianity is based on an actual historical fact, all right? Um, and that's, that's incredibly important in the world that we live in now where, they, where, where, where we find ourselves faced with kind of an idea. Have you, have you all ever felt this way, that, that, that in the public square, the public square is a place for science, it's a place for sociology. It's a place for a lot of things, but it's not a place for your religion, right? That, that, that we, we, feel, we feel stuck or we feel like what we have to say isn't valid so often, or I, I feel that way. Um, but it's because there's this kind of false dichotomy that's been placed, and, and it's, it's kind of swept religion off into this place. But as the Christian, we say, uh-uh, wait a minute. We actually have a historical basis for what we believe, amen? Um, and so we're going to jump into that a little bit. And so, so, it's, it, so when, when Paul uses the word gospel, what we see him doing with it is he's referring to a set of historical facts, 
that actually happened uh, in establishing those facts and also the interpretation of those facts, right? If those facts are true, then there's all these things. The whole New Testament is full of what it means to us that these historical facts actually occurred in history, right? It means X, Y, Z. It means grace. It means all these gifts and abilities. It means the fruits of the Spirit. It means we get eternal life. It means we get forgiveness. Like, there's all these things it means, but it's always, uh, always in light of those, those, those initial facts being true. Um, and so, so let, let's think about it in, in those terms, right? Let's think about the, the resurrection of Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ in those terms, like, as, as, you know, the same as the meal you had last Saturday, right? You know, when, when I was in college, if somebody found out that there was free food, they would tell everybody. <laughs> and we would be there, right? Like, we would show up. We would respond because, you know, it's news. Like, it's either true or it's false. And if it's true, I want to go be a part of that and get my donuts. And I'll listen to your lecture. It's fine. Um, and then let's talk about also some of the responses of the gospel, right? So there, that, that's the nature of it and some of the responses that it creates in the, in the people that he's talking to. He says, I preach this gospel to you. And what did they do? They received it, right? That's important. That's, that's an important word. It's not just they believed it. It's they received it, right? And, uh, um, and, and then beyond that, they stood in it. He says, in which you stand. Like this gospel that I preach that I'm about to um, uh, refresh you on, it's what causes you to stand, right? It gives you the steel in your backbone to be able to stand up in a world that's hostile. Then he says, and then by which you are being saved, right? We need to be saved. So there's this idea that whatever I'm about to tell you, um, it's, it, it's because it meets a certain need that you have to be rescued from something. Amen? Um, if you hold fast, all right? So th those, are, those are the effects of the gospel or some of the effects in the people he's talking about. So now we get into it. Now we get into this nugget, and this is a, this is a sweet nugget of Scripture. Um, it's got a lot of... Uh, I'll get into that in a second. Let's get through it. So, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Everybody say first importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and to the 12, which is the 12 disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, the brother of Christ, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, and we know the man speaking is Paul, right? Paul the apostle. So what's special about this passage? This, um, this is generally believed to be the earliest creed of the church, right? It's a beautiful passage because it's this, it's, this, it's this tiny distillation of the gospel. Um, and... And, and the reason we say it's the oldest has to do with the fact that, first of all, Paul was early, right? Like, we, we're, we think Paul's um, actual conversion, when we look at when he was writing, which was, uh, you know, between uh, some of the epistles, this epistle specifically was like 50 A.D., 53, 54 A.D. Um, but you start to walk it back um, to, to the events that he's talking about in the different epistles and the Gospels, and it's looking like he got, uh, he had his, his conversion experience within 
one to five years of Jesus actually dying and, and resurrecting, right? So Paul was early, first of all. So when Paul says, um, hey, let me, let, me, let me share with you what was passed down to me, that's generally taken to be a reference to the time that he spent with Peter and, J- and James, eyewitnesses. Like, it was, brought, it was given to him by eyewitnesses. Now, he was a witness, right? Like, he got to meet Jesus, but he wasn't there when the events happened. So he actually went and said, well, I'm going to go check this out and spend some time with these guys. And they broke it down to him. And then what is he doing? He's breaking it down. He's saying, like, this is what was given to me. Now, I'm going to give it to y'all. And he, and he just breaks it down in this nice little tight format. And so for apologetics, um, uh, just a quick little, quick little sidebar that my man here is going to love. Brian's going to love this. Um, you know, there, there's, there's so much historical data when you look at the scriptures in context and you look at these letters and you look at, uh, at the narrative. Um, and, and when people try to say, like a lot of times with, with um, religious lore, there is this legend aspect uh, where, where a legend kind of comes onto the scene and then erases the original story. The problem, and, and, and that's, just ge- like, that's just generally true. Like, that's just generally true across the board with legends that we see in religious lore. With Christianity, there's this problem of the sources being so early. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking about, like, immediately after his death, this narrative starts circulating, right? And so, um, so... There's not much other way to interpret that from just, a, just, just if you play by the rules of, like, historical analysis, there, there's, there's not much other interpretation than that the thing happened, right? The thing happened, and it creates this tidal wave of response to it, to the point where people are actually going out and dying for it, right? Um, so, uh, so, so moving on there, uh, we've got this creed, and this creed basically gives you this beautiful little distillation of the gospel, and it's very, very simple, which it needs to be, right? It's got to be simple, because not everybody that gets to hear the gospel is going to actually have even time in their life to go and look at all the original sources and the Dead Sea Scrolls and all that kind of stuff, because they might believe and then get killed for it a day later. You understand? Like, that's how it is places. So the gospel's got to be something that I can believe it, I can hear it, I can receive it, I can be saved, I can be born again, and I can go out tomorrow and be killed for it, right? Because, because um, um, having years of study isn't guaranteed to anyone. Um, and so looking at this, this narrative, what we see is Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now the first word I'm going to pull out of there is sin, right? Sin, because remember I talked about you know, there, there's, there's something we needed to be saved from. And so what is sin? How would, how would we define sin? Well, well, the word itself means to miss the mark or to wander from the standard, right? Like it's, it's one of those words um, that, uh, that has a really kind of strict and easy, and easy interpretation. It's, it's to fail of the mark. Now, if you look back into the origin of sin, what was the first sin? Anybody? What was the first sin? Yeah, who's pride? Who did the first sin? That's good. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's actually uh, that's a better answer than the one I had in mind. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes that happens up here. Okay. No, that's good. All right. So let's go to the second sin. What was the uh, what was the second first human sin? Yeah, that would be Eve's disobedience followed by Adam's disobedience. Right. 
Um, and so let's break that down a little bit. We're going to break that sin down a bit. Um, and we're going to break it down in uh, what I think, you know, uh, one, uh, one, of, uh, one of the pastors that's influenced me uh, would be John Piper. And, uh, and one of the sermons that he did, I'll get, go ahead and give him credit for this, uh, he preached out of Jeremiah 2.12, and, um, and, and I felt did a good job of showing this particular scripture to encapsulate the nature of sin very well. And so here it goes. It says, uh, it says, be appalled, O heavens, this is the prophet Jeremiah, be appalled, O heavens, at this, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water, right? So they, 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 they turned away from the living God who was the source of life, right? Who wanted to be the source of life for them. And instead they turned and they dug out their own cisterns. They said, I want to do it my way. I want to do it this alternate way. Um, and, and this way cannot ultimately save them, right? And this is the wickedness that the heavens are shocked by, right? That people would do this. But isn't this what, what people do every day? And you look at any sin and pick it apart, what's there? It's, it's I don't want you, I don't want your way, I don't want your standard. I, I like this better over here, I like myself better, I like my opinions better, right? Like that's, that's the, and if you even look at the fall, right? Like that's exactly the logic that Satan uses. Like, did God really say, right? He's introducing doubt. Did God really say that? And then, uh, and then, well, it's actually like this. It's actually this alternative story to what God told you. God's holding out on you. Don't trust him. Trust me. And then go this direction. And then what we have is the mess that we're in today, right? Um, and that is, that is the nature of all sin. And this is what we needed to be saved from. And so, uh, so the next thing is he, he did that in accordance with the scriptures, which we'll get into in a second. Why did God have to die for our sins? Why is sin a thing that God had to die for? Why couldn't he just say, all right, forgiven. My son's not going to die forgiven. Forgiven is here, forgiven is here, forgiven is there. Y'all forgiven. Because God is just. God is holy. God is holy. And, he's, and, and, his, and he, he is a loving father, right? But he is also a righteous judge. And he's not a loving father to the expense of being a righteous judge. And he's not a righteous judge to the expense of being a righteous father. See, God is able to hold these things in contradiction. And, and, and our minds can't fully contain what God is. But what he's not is, um, is inconsistent with his own word. And he's not inconsistent with his own nature. And he is holy which means this is how it had to go down, right? Like, like that Jesus actually had to come um, and, and die for our sins. And, and if you think about it, like it's not that hard for us to, to, to get our heads around. Like I, I, think, I think we have maybe an easier time with God's love in our culture than we do with his righteousness. That's not the same in every culture, by the way. That's just our culture. But we have an easier time with God's love than we do with his righteousness. But... Let's connect with his righteousness in this way. So, uh, so for, let's, let's say, for example, that you have, uh, think about the worst sin you can imagine, like the worst type of sin that you personally can imagine. Um, you know, I won't get graphic, let's say a murderer, like an unrepentant murderer. What kind of relationship can you have with an unrepentant murderer? Like, do you say, come in my house and let's eat together? <laughs> right? You, you don't, do you? Because there is a standard of righteousness, and you can't have fellowship with a person that's that far gone, right? 
And, and obviously there's ideas of safety, but even the safety thing aside, even if the safety thing wasn't an issue, can you picture yourself just hanging out with a dude that's an unrepentant murderer? You can't. Because it's he, what, what he's into, what he enjoys, what he, his heart's affection is, is um, not compatible with you. It's not compatible with what you think. And, and most people on the street would agree with that, right? They'd agree with that standard of, you know, nah, I'm not going to go hang out with a person that's like that. Um, and what we don't understand is our little tiny peccadilloes, you know, like our, what we think are tiny sins, God is that holy. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? God is that holy that the way we might judge another thing based on how righteous we think we are, now we're talking about the righteous judge of the whole entire universe who truly is fully righteous, 100% perfect and holy and beautiful, and, 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 uh, and then think of, think of what our sin must be like to him, what our tiniest sin, our tiniest rebellion must be like to him, right? And that starts to give you a picture. So Jesus, Jesus had the, the solution was from the, before the foundation of the, of the earth, Blood's going to have to get shed to cover this sin because that is the rule. That is the way that it works. Sin equals death. And God put it on. He took it upon him own, his own self to be the price, to pay the cost for that. So what does it matter now? Uh, what does it matter that this all happened in accordance with Scripture? Um, you know, just kind of still, still unpacking that, that first verse. What does it mean that this, why does he say it twice, right? He says he, says he, he, um, um, he was crucified according to the scripture, um, buried, rose again on the third day according to the scripture. So there's this emphasis on the fact that it was according to the scripture, which means we're talking about Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He was foretold. And so this is another, as we get into, I think more and more we're going to be, we're, we're going to be dealing with a, with a culture that has classified what we believe as, as ridiculous and unfactual and unscientific, right? Um, but, it's, but the problem is it's not that easy <laughs> to get rid of Christianity because we have an entire Old Testament that is prophesying the Christ before he comes and is specifically saying what he's going to do and what it's going to be like. And then you have Jesus fulfilling these prophecies one by one, right? So that if a person with an honest mind and an earnest heart wants to go back and see for themselves, does this text actually say these things? It does, right? And so Paul, again, you know, we're, we're looking at Paul who, who uh, um, you know, is, is not going around saying, yeah, just take my word for it. He's saying, no, this is our message, our message is that this historical, this thing happened literally in our midst, and it's the fulfillment of scriptures that were written beforehand by the, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can go back and look at, right? So this is a fully substantiated event. Um, so now moving on to verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. So we're going to get into Paul a little bit. So he's given this, uh, he's given this, um, uh, this creed to remind and to encourage the saints of what they've put their hope in and the factual basis of it. And now he's going to talk about himself a little bit. It says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And we know for a fact that Paul was so zealous for, uh, against Christianity that he literally gave approval for the murder of Stephen. Like this happened 
in front of his face with him approving, right, that, that Stephen, who was a man of God, who was full of the Holy Spirit and, and, and good works, um, was actually murdered by a mob. He was stoned to death by a mob um, right there in front of Paul's face. And though Paul didn't pick up the stone, he was the one that gave the permission because he was the authority on the scene. And he gave the permission for these people to go and, in a rage, just go and murder a man in front of him. So, so when he says this, and you see that, the, that he grieves over it, you see that, right, in Scripture, that that's a painful memory for him. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You hear that? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, uh, now going back to Paul again, when we, we again, um, you can probably hear, I've been listening to a lot of guys, uh, I've been listening to um, a lot of uh, speakers who um, went back, they were, they were atheists, and they went back to investigate the scriptures to prove them wrong. And then they realized, if I'm going to prove Christianity wrong, I've got to prove the resurrection wrong. I've got to prove that that didn't happen. And, and you see the, the theme happening in some of the top apologists today are people that started that way. Like, I'm going to go disprove it, and they ended up proving it, right? And, and one of the reasons, and Paul is a really, really significant, right? Because Paul, you've got the apostles who were with Christ, and that were with him the whole time, and then, you know, they were, they were loyal to him, or you could probably accuse them of some form of loyalty. You got Paul who was against them, <laughs> like he was killing them. You know what I mean? That's not the guy. It's, it's very difficult for us to even understand how much of a 180 that was. Do you know what I mean? Like if you picture, I don't know, who are two groups that just will never reconcile <laughs> on this side of heaven, right? Like you fill in the blank there. Um, he is as far from being drinking the Christian Kool-Aid as you can be, Right? And, uh, and yet you have that same Paul um, having an experience completely apart, right? Apart from anybody training him or anybody teaching him or anybody telling him anything. And he just meets Jesus straight up, right? He just meets Jesus straight up on the road to Damascus, gets knocked off his horse, and he's like, oh, snap, I was wrong. You know, and... And, and then he goes out and becomes the, you know, apart from Jesus himself, arguably the most influential Christian who ever lived, right? And so when you look at and then what we have is we don't have Paul, like, saying, okay, well, let me go ahead and, uh, and take all, take this thing and document it and make a structure out of it and just create a religion. He's just writing letters to people. You know what I mean? Like, we get to see him on the road, letters, you know, these beautifully preserved letters that... That, that show exactly what he was doing and show how, um, how, how this gospel was true and how he lived it out. Um, and that just ends up being an incredible testimony to add on top of however many other testimonies there were about these things that happened, both secular and Christian, right? Like we have, we have um, you know, stuff to back this up from all kinds of different sources in history. And so Paul ends up, you know, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And we see Paul as living proof of the resurrection, right? Like we see Paul as, as exhibit A, <laughs> that crazy things can happen in this earth. 
and a person that was one day dedicated to the murder of a certain group or the, the marginalization or the persecution of a certain group can get knocked off his horse and become um, a person who, who, who's beaten, stranded, attempts on his life, goes through all manner of suffering, and then ultimately is beheaded, right, beheaded for the faith. Um, it's hard to discredit a person like that, isn't it? So continuing on. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now we're getting to the resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So what I want to drive home for us is just understanding how essential the resurrection is for us, right? Like, he's, he is, he's speaking to a faction amongst this group that is saying, hey, resurrection generally doesn't exist, right? Resurrection generally doesn't exist. And he's saying, if you make that assertion that resurrection generally doesn't exist, you're also saying that Christ wasn't raised. And if you're saying Christ wasn't raised, then there is no Christianity, just pack it up and go home. So I think for us, it's just important to understand and remember that, you know, the historicity of the resurrection, the documentedness of the resurrection, the factuality of the resurrection is so much of what we have to give to the world, right? And, and to give it in a way where it's like, I'm not just giving you opinions, <laughs> Like, I'm not just giving you my personal experience. Like, the personal experience is good, right? I'm preaching to myself here because I love to just fall back on my personal experience. The personal experience is good, but the personal experience means nothing if the resurrection didn't physically happen, right? So we've got to hold that sacred. We've got to hold that tight. We don't compromise on that. One other thing here that's interesting is... Uh, is he says, if Jesus is not raised, then you're still in your sins. So, essentially, you're jacked. <laughs> you know, because either way, if Christ, if Christ was raised or not, here's what we know for sure. We're a bunch of sinners, right? And so, for so, for so many, like, even as we go out into the world and, and, and try, to, try to deal with people who, who, who are resistant to this message... If there's one thing that's empirically proven in history, it's that man and woman are sinners, <laughs> right? Like uh, that Will Durant quote. I remember that Will Durant quote you, uh, you brought, Joel, back in the days where he says, hey, this was a guy who had such an expansive knowledge of history. It was his lifelong, decades and decades and decades long work. And he said, oh, man, it's the same. <laughs> like you go back, the way it was is the way it is now, just different players on the scene but it's the same. I can say this to you as a historian who's looked back as far as it goes, as far as the historic test will show me, and, and man, man's nature never changes, you know? And so, man, that's, that's so, so, so the good news is that is true, but then God also provided for it through Christ. 
And then, and then Paul takes it a step further. He says, this is in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, I found this to be a very interesting statement, right? We are of all people most to be pitied. If, if, we, if we've put our faith and our trust in this thing, and it's not true, and if the resurrection didn't really happen, and why is that? Why are we most to be pitied? The gospel costs us something, right? There is a cost to the gospel, right? Like, if we're going to follow Jesus, it means that Jesus is first. Everything else is, I mean, I don't even, not even second or third. Like, it's so, right? If, 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 if this Jesus tells me, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to love me so much that the love for your family looks like hate compared to how much you love me. Is that, that can be a discouraging call, can't it? I mean, this is the call to us, though. This is what we're being developed into, right, is a people that, that love Jesus so much that, that we have no plan B, right? We have no backup plan. Um, and and that, that no matter what comes at us, whether it be persecution in the form of words, whether it be the persecution in the form of losing property, whether it be persecution in the form of losing our lives, right? If you're a person who's willing to give your life for a Jesus that wasn't resurrected, aren't you most to be pitied, right? Doesn't that deception, isn't that deception going to cost you? It's cost people their lives, brothers and sisters. There are people in the grave because they believe this. And so, uh, so he says we're most to be pitied because we're the most foolish of all men, aren't we? If we believe this thing and it's not true. Good thing we have lots of assurance. And then he goes right into it. But in fact, right, he says we're most, if, if, if it's not true, we're most to be pitied. But hey, take heart. Because in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Not, it's my opinion that he's been raised from the dead, or I think he's been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. So, uh, so one thing to note here, the fact that Jesus resurrected, the fact that Jesus came back from the dead is also the fact that we will too, amen? See, that's nested in there. Jesus said, be of good, be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. Well, why is it good for me that you overcame the world? <laughs> because there's some benefit for me in that, amen? Like we get to go be with him. Um, and this, sum, this sums up the epic conflict, right, from, uh, from, from start to finish. I mean, we're talking about in Adam all die, Right? Like, we were in God's image. Adam distorted that image, Adam and Eve, through the, choice that the choices that they made. Everybody that's come along since has had the same dysfunction, right? What do we call it? We call it sin. You know, I talk to my kids about it. You know, why did you do that? Why did you hit your sister? Because I have sin in my heart. Where did he get sin in his heart? He got it from Adam, right? Huh? From me? <laughs> he got a lot. Yeah, a lot he got from me. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so this happened, right? Like this, this worldview, and I'm speaking in some apologetics terms just because, man, I got a little bit of a fire lit up in me about that right now. Um, in, in this worldview, 
we deal with the reason why there's war, why there's murder, why there's selfishness, why there's hate, right? We deal with the reason because things got broken way in the beginning, and man's been broken ever since. And if you, wanna, if you want evidence of the brokenness, then go just read a history book, and you will know that we're broken. Like, why? Who can explain to me, right, outside of Christ, outside of, outside of the Bible, outside of this understanding, who can explain to me why we do what we do? Why we have these good intentions to be good people and to be nice and to have New Year's resolutions and to, and to never do X, Y, Z again, and then we go do it. Why? Because it's easier to sin than to do right. It's easier to do wickedness than to do justice. Because the problem's in us, right? It ain't out there. I mean, there's problems out there. But the problem with the world is you and me, right? That's what's wrong with the world, is that I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. And so what does God give us for that epic problem? He gives us the resurrection. He gives us Christ, right, who dies, who pays the cost, who becomes the substitutionary atonement for our sin, who pays the cost fully for every sin, past, present, and future, and what is required of us is to believe. To believe the report, to believe the factual evidence-based report that a man came and was God and was literally murdered and came back from the dead. And then where is this all heading to? And I alluded to this in the beginning. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, talking about Jesus, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Joel, come on, dude. Like, this, does this not sound like what Joel was talking about, <laughs> right? That there are principalities and powers who arrayed themselves against God, right, to distort and destroy creation, and that they're going to get their comeuppance, right? Um, that, and that, that it's going to be at the hands of Jesus, the conquering king. And that that time will come. Why? For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Can you imagine that? He's going to destroy death. Because death came in. That wasn't a part of God's, God's original design. But that came in because of the rebellion. And he's going to cure that. And he's going to take these two realms that were, rift, were broken apart, and he's going, to, he's going to restore it all. He's going to put it all right. Amen? And we have a hope for that. And, and will there be justice on this earth? There will never be justice on this earth, man. We'll have moments, and we'll have seasons, and we fight for it. But there will never be a perfect society on this earth. Why? i got sin in my heart, Daddy. <laughs> right? That's why. No matter how many books you read, no matter how many seminars you take, no matter how many, uh, I don't know, medicines you take, you're still going to be the problem unless you receive the one who was, who was destined to solve the problem through transformation over time. So uh, some conclusions and application as we go, um, because uh, as, as you can see, we, we get a chance to dig into the scripture, to be refreshed and reminded about what the gospel is, and, 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 and to 
and to be rooted in the, in the historicity of it, right? To, to fight against the narrative that what we believe is just, it's fine for us to believe in private, but it really doesn't carry any weight in the public square. Well, don't believe it, man. Don't buy the lie, y'all. And, and by the grace of God, I pray. And I'm, I'm praying for myself too, man, because I went to college at a, at a secular university. Like, this is the air that I breathed. Like, I, I, I was scared to speak, you know, because, because the atmosphere was so thick with other things. And, and, and I still, to this day, feel that. I feel that. I feel that, whatever you want to call it, that, that pressure, that dampening, that, you know, that, that fear. And, uh, and you know, I, I want us to be free of that. Anybody else who can identify with me, I want us to be free to be able to go and proclaim the truth. Like, I don't, I don't, it's not complicated. I don't necessarily have to have a really, really great presentation, right? Like, I don't have to necessarily have it all prettied up and, and, and convenient and feeling really good to anybody who hears it. Like, Paul said, hey, man, <laughs> Jesus died, according to the scriptures, buried, rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, got seen by X, Y, and Z, right? And he said, that's the gospel. Um, so I think we put more of a burden on ourselves than we, than we need to because at the end of the day, uh, and I think Joel also said this, man, people don't believe because they don't want to believe. It's not because your, your story isn't polished enough, because <laughs> your presentation isn't tight enough. People don't believe because they don't want to believe, and some will believe by the grace of God. Um, so I'm going to leave us with this, and then uh, actually I'm going to have the worship team come on up. So... A couple words on victory as we go out. Second Corinthians 2, 14 through 15 says, uh, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it to you, read it over you. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now this triumphal procession, like when, when Rome would conquer their enemies, right? When Rome would win a big battle, the, the troops would come back and they'd parade the captives. Um, the captives that were captured in battle, they'd parade the victory through the whole town, right? They, there would just be this triumphal procession. And that's the word that's being used here, right? The word for that is the word that's being used here when it says Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. What does that mean? It means the victory was already won, right? So we're not really out here in the epic struggle fighting to win because it, he already won. We're here to make a show of it. Amen? We're here to be put on display that Jesus did it and that he's alive, which can take the pressure off of us feeling like we got to get up and make something happen. Man, Jesus already did more than you could ever do. And you've just entered into the benefit of it. And then the last one is 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. How many people? Half the people that have been born of God overcome the world. How many people overcome the world that are born, that are born of God? Everyone. Every single person. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you have received that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you believe the historical record that Jesus literally died 
on a cross for your sins, was put in that grave, rose again on the third day, and then they went to check the grave and that thing was empty. If you believe that, this is your inheritance to always have the victory, to overcome the world, even if it feels like at this moment in time that you are getting your butt kicked, <laughs> which some may feel. You have the victory by faith, right? And faith is not what you can see, but it's what you know in spite of what you see, amen? It's, it's, it's the confidence that we have in God that he is able to do what he said he would do whether or not I can see it in the moment. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for every, every soul that's here. I want to thank you, Lord God, for, for the word that has gone out. And I thank you, Lord, that as I prayed in the beginning, that word is powerful. I'm not powerful. And I confess that gladly, Father, that I'm not powerful, I'm not wise, I'm not good. But that word is good. That word is perfect and that word is holy. And so I pray that you would stir up our hearts, Lord God, to love and good works, that you'd stir up our hearts to boldness and to courage because I feel like we're heading into a season where we're going to need it and where we're going to need each other. And so I pray, Father, continue to make us people of substance, continue to make us people who are unafraid to speak the truth, the truth that matters more than any other truth, which is that Jesus Christ died rose again on the third day. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes we walk into the church building or we're at home, um, and a lot of times we're overwhelmed thinking that there's more that we have to do. Uh, no joke, this morning, uh, Kim and I came early to kind of help set up things, and uh, there wasn't much to do, and we said to each other, like, I feel like we should be doing more. Um, and I think the Lord just needs to, we need to be reminded what the Lord has done for us. Uh, the first scripture I read this morning when we opened up uh, was, you know, from the Apostle Paul, and he writes these letters to different churches um, all over, and he has to remind them time and time again of the truth of the gospel, of what Christ did for them, um, because you know, there's Judaizers and there are other people trying to say, no, this is what, this is how you gain salvation. This is how you make things happen. And Paul has to remind them again and again. Um, and he ends up saying, hey, you know, Christ is the chief cornerstone of that new life for you. Not the things that you do, uh, not the ways that you make up for your sins, um, that it's Christ that takes that on for us, for you. That is the one thing that remains, is Christ, above all things. Johnny was talking about history books and, and you know, piles of them. And we, just, we should praise the Lord for Christ, that he atones for those sins. And, I, and we have to remind ourselves, right? And a good friend of mine, his name is JR, uh, brings it up a lot uh, for me, but he says, you know, sometimes we feel this anxiety and pressure. And Johnny was talking about, I, I prayed about it this morning um, for us, is that we feel this angst that, that we, we don't add up. Maybe we're dealing with things in the past. And one time he, he said to me, he said, hey, you know, because the tomb is empty, 
the pressure is off. And that's why we can come and rejoice and celebrate the pressure to perform, the pressure to um, take care of things that, that are out of our control, the pressure to carry our own sin. It was not meant for us to bear that burden. It was for Christ to take it on that cross. And if you remember, I mean, he, he says, it is finished. Because of the tomb, though, when he resurrected, that we can celebrate and the pressure is off. I'm going to read from Psalm 118, verse 21 through 24. It says, I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord and is a, it is wondrous in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So if you're carrying that pressure, I want to invite you to take a minute and, and pray that God would release you through that, uh, from that. But it's only through his son, Jesus, the cornerstone. And if you're new here, um, there's lots of new faces from family and just coming here. We're so glad you're here. And if you're online, we want to just um, invite you to our response time. You know, that's singing and worship. And we also have communion. Um, if you are a believer in Jesus and you believe what we've been talking about, we invite you to take uh, the bread and the cup to remind yourself of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Also, at Joyful Giving, we have giving boxes in the back. Um, we, we believe that giving sacrificially is a way to um, submit to the Lord. And the last thing, any of you are feeling that pressure and you need prayer that God would deliver you from the pressures of this world or to seek you know, a way to be in relationship with him we'd love to be praying with you I'll be standing over here on, on the side um, anyone in our church would love to be praying with you just tap them on the shoulder and ask for prayer but this is our time to respond but remember because the tomb is empty pressure is off and we get to celebrate that this morning so let's continue to worship <laughs>